0: I wanna welcome the folks that are on We know that you guys could tune in anywhere, but you're tuning in yes. here with us. Yes. And we wanna thank the family of Jarrell and Ashley for uh, showing up today. You came for a baby blessing, but we're thankful that you stayed and we hope yes. that you are blessed yes. by this message and the entire service as well. I'd like to submit for your consideration this morning the subject title don't doubt me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, when I began to work on this message that you were giving me, mm-hmm. I started to inspect myself, and it didn't take long to realize that I'm unworthy. Yes. I'm guilty of the very things you're telling me to speak about. So, Father, simply take this unworthy broken vessel and have your way in Jesus name. Amen. So today we are ultimately going to end up in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. But before we get there, we're going to start with our scripture text found in the Gospel of Matthew and kind of build a bridge to 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. We want to connect a few ideas. Set some things up. The scripture text was from a very popular section of scripture in regards to two groups were coming together to try and test jesus you had the sadducees first they thought they were a group of experts they didn't believe in the resurrection so they attempted to test jesus on the idea of what happens after death then you had the pharisees another group of so-called experts these experts were experts in the law of moses they thought that they could test god and possibly trick him in regards to the commandments. They prided themselves on upholding and keeping the law of Moses, not understanding that the law of Moses was only a prescription for what to do when you break the 10 commandments. But Jesus, always looking at the heart, he says the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, And with all your mind. Now, when Christ Jesus gave this commandment, if you're listening carefully, you have to ask yourself the question, what does it even mean to love God? Well, let's take a quick jump over to another gospel and take and go to John fourteen, verse fifteen. We got a quick, simple statement. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So if I were to take that scripture, insert it back into Matthew 22, 37, I could probably have the understanding that if I keep the commandments with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind, I'm loving God. You know, healthy relationships have boundaries. The Ten Commandments, the commandments of God, are simply boundaries for a healthy relationship. I'm a married man. If my wife were to grant someone else the access and the privilege that only I should have, that's gonna be a problem. I'm from a family where my mother would often tell me, I don't care what your friends have going on over there. What we're gonna do in this house is this right here. Right. We had healthy boundaries. I played on many teams growing up. We had healthy boundaries. You had to commit. You had to dedicate yourself. You played for one another, not the other team. You didn't slack, causing somebody else to pick up the work. We had healthy boundaries. If you were a doctor and I was your patient, I would expect there to be some healthy boundaries. I would expect some Privacy in regards to my personal information, what I divulge to you, and I expect you to treat me with such care and compassion that you understand where I'm coming from. You listen to me. All relationships, healthy relationships, have boundaries. So we talked about this great commandment of love. We talked about what it means to love God. We understand that there's healthy boundaries. That's why we have rules, sets of regulations that kind of govern what we need to do inside a relationship. But it doesn't necessarily explain who is this God that we're trying to love. Let's understand that. Who is this God? Let's stay in John, but now let's turn to the first chapter of John. Gospel of John, the first chapter of John. And we're just going to look at Uh, a few verses here, because I want to just understand something. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In just these few verses, we have a concept that's introduced. You have the concept of plurality, and you have the concept of equality. Plurality. What am I talking about? I'm talking about two entities. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I got the Word, and I have God. That's plurality. More than one. Plural. Also, in that same text, it says the Word was God. I have equality. If I were to continue reading in this first chapter alone, by the time I get down to verse 14— I'm going to realize that John is ultimately describing Jesus Christ. Now, think about this for a second. We started this particular verse, this Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning. Think very intently. Where have you seen that phrase before? Give me a book of the Bible. Genesis. Genesis. let's quickly go there. Genesis chapter one, it starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The Gospel of of John describes that God is creating the heaven and the earth as the Word. So I can read Genesis chapter 1 and says, in the beginning, the Word created the heavens and the earth. I keep reading, the earth was out form and void, And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, pay attention to this. Then God said, let there be light. There's an interesting pattern or phenomenon that's occurring in this first explanation of creation, this first book of the Bible. Each of the six days of creation, you're going to come across the phrase, then God said. The creative power of God was completely wrapped up in his word, his speech, what he said. Does that, that resonate is that clear? What's happening is God could have chosen to create the world by pointing and something appearing. He could have taken the darkness and compressed it, caused combustion, and everything could have been created. But what happened was he spoke and it was done. There's a reason why I want to drive this point home, the idea of the word speaking and there being creation. If you were to think about the idea of nicknames, if you're in a close relationship, if you're married, Spouses have nicknames, words of endearment that they say to one another, whether that's Honey, Babe, Boo, whatever it may be. If it's a bad day, they may have another nickname, but we'll leave that alone. In families, especially if your family is close, almost every individual has a nickname. I had a friend of mine tell me a story of a young cousin that they had, and by the time this cousin got to kindergarten, He thought his legal name was Boo Man because everybody only called him Boo Man. So when he went into kindergarten, he said, oh, my name is Boo Man, but didn't realize his name was actually something else. Nicknames, right? Close relationships. As friends, we give each other's nicknames based off of things we do, uh, a situation that may have happened, a funny story, right? We have co-workers. We may give a co-worker nickname just basically how they act on the job kidding around or whatever it may be. In the Bible, there are over 300 different names for God, whether they be formal names, uh, descriptions of what God has done for individuals or a group of people, or even specific titles. But this is what God says about all of his names. Psalms 138 verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple And praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God is saying his word is higher than, more important than all of his names combined. So, regardless of what I want to call God, I need to pay more attention to what God has to say. That is where the value is. If God says something and it doesn't happen, that allows us to doubt that God is who he says he is. If God says something, and let me clarify, he, he says something without conditions, because sometimes God can say something, and depending on how the human responds or how we respond, he may either turn away from doing something and not do it at all. But if he says something with conditions, what has, it has to happen. There's no ifs, ands, buts, or about it. So let's kind of just recap once again. So we started off in Matthew. We talked about this greater commandment being about loving God with everything we have. We understand that the only way to love God is by keeping his commandments. We understand that God is the Word. The Bible we hold in our hands. It was the Word that spoke everything into existence. We would not be here without the Word. The Word has power. The Word is above all the names of God. But what does that all have to do with the life we live right now or the life any human has lived since Adam? There's suffering in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's complete nonsense and chaos Mm -hmm. going on. It doesn't matter how perfect a life you attempt to live, trouble and suffering is going to find you. Let's quickly go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're just going to look at uh, three verses over there, and then we're going to get right to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Romans 28, Paul is writing and he's saying a few things. Verse 28, he says, we know all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Now, what are the all things that Paul is talking about? Let's back up about 10 verses and look at 18. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The all things that Paul is talking about is the fact that we are all going to go through suffering. It is guaranteed to happen, regardless of how well you eat, how good you exercise, how much you study, suffering is going to happen. So we get to verse 35, same chapter, Romans 8, and we're hit with a series of questions. It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Christ didn't allow any of that to separate us from him. The reality is, none of those things can separate our love for God unless we choose to give in to fear or any of the things that cause us to want to walk away. There's no commandment that we can't keep simply by trouble coming our way. If you look at each of the Ten Commandments, we have to make a conscious decision. We can't be forced into not keeping any of them. Right? So we love God. God created everything for us. God understands that there's suffering in this world. Mm -hmm. But God also knows that there's nothing that can separate the love inside of a healthy relationship. We got the boundaries. So, with all that being said, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to look at the first 17 verses. I'm going to read it from the King James Version in your hearing, but feel free to follow along in whatever version you have available to yourself. This passage kind of tells the story of one of the kings of the nation of Judah, King Jehoshaphat. And in this particular text, King Jehoshaphat has a prayer and we're gonna take a good look at that and see how that applies to the idea that we do not need to doubt God. Beginning in verse one, it says, it happened after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others besides them, besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And said, listen to the prayer, here it goes. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it, for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when we came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Pay attention to verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of juba and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. This is the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God. 16, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Juriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Position yourselves. Hold on to that. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. I got three points to give you this morning. I'm going to quickly get out of your way. Point number one, abide in the word of God and don't doubt it. Point number two, in our weakness, Christ is made strong. Final point, what God requires of us is that we publicly, let me emphasize, publicly take a stand with him. Point number one, let's get to it. We read in verses one and two that King Jehoshaphat was in fear of his life. He was in fear of the entire nation. And if you recall, the people that he's afraid of are basically his distant cousins. When we go back to Genesis, we understand that the Moabites and the Ammonites came from the descendants of Lot. Remember, Lot had two daughters. He got so drunk that he impregnated both of them. I don't understand how that works, but that's what the Bible says. The Ammonites and Moabites came from Lot. They were cousins, distant cousins, of the nation of Israel. So this is kinfolk that you're talking about, you're afraid of. Kinfolk. Now, as we read in verses 6 and 7, Jehoshaphat begins with asking God a series of questions. And based on how we structure the English language and how we use punctuation marks, it appears as if he's doubting God. But that's not the case. That's not how the Hebrews actually worked and how they interpreted. What's actually going on is that Jehoshaphat is reminding himself and recording for all Judah, because this is a public prayer, of the things that God has already done for them. He says in his prayer, are you not God in heaven? This is a reminder. And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. This is a reminder. And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? These are reminders. The entire nation had witnessed the awesome power of God from Abraham, his sons, the children of Israel going into Egypt, coming out of Egypt into the promised land, the setting up of the nations and the succession of kings from David all the way down to Jehoshaphat. There has been instance after instance, time after time, in which God had shown them he was always there to fight their battles. The reason why Jehoshaphat was to be able to recall this is because he had the words of God in him. John 15:7 says, abide in me. And if my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it should be done for you. Well, let's talk about reality. 2023. If you just think about the number of shootings, mass shootings, killings that we've had so far this year, we got to take asking God for his protection as serious business. There's nothing that we can do that can ensure on our own that we're not going to be the victim of some random bullet. They seem to be flying everywhere. You don't know if the person sitting next to you right now is crazy or not. People are just snapping. But there's a word for you and that comes from Psalms 91. When you hide that in your heart, God's protection is going to abound. You know, we have political leaders and commentators that are constantly looking to polarize and divide the nation. But the Word of God also tells us in Galatians 1, 10, and 11 that we don't need to be so concerned with pleasing men, getting everybody to like us. Our role, our job is simply serving God. Another huge debate that's going on this year, and it seems to baffle me, Mark, you'll you'll probably find this a little chuckle since you're a science guy, but people have seemed to completely disregard biology and science. If you were to ask someone who's supposed to be intelligent what is the difference between a male and a female, they are going to struggle to answer you. Let me say this clearly. Let me say this clearly. If you were to start with the word of God, and if you're unsure of who you are, let's start in Genesis chapter 1. We'll get to verses 26 and 27. The Bible says, the Bible says, not I, but the Bible says, that God created Adam in his image. We get to chapter 2, we get another account of creation. We get to chapter 3, we understand that sin now enters the world. We get to chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. We get to Genesis chapter 5, and we have now a genealogy or an account of Adam's descendants. We get to Genesis chapter 5, we look at verse 3, and we see what the Bible has to say, the Bible, not I, regarding the birth of Seth. Regarding the birth of Seth, the Bible states that Seth was born in the image of Adam, not the image of God there's a lot of people running around today saying God made me this way. God made me that way. I'm only this way because of God. I want to clarify that's not true. You may believe that you may have been born a certain way. I'm not going to argue you on that. But God didn't make you that way. Once sin entered the world, it was the natural default Of every individual their lives would be completely opposite contrary to the order and the will of God what I'm saying is Seth as close as he was to the initial creation his parents even though that the the health benefits of the tree of life were still very much alive in their blood without Christ without God Seth himself His default was death. It was a life contrary to the will, the instruction and the natural order of God. I'm not saying that we can't be compassionate for folks that are unsure of themselves. What I'm saying is that the word of God is clear that the only individual ever made in the image of God was Adam. Everybody after that has been born and shaped in iniquity and the answer is Jesus, and it is the gift of the Spirit that we will transform our characters back to the image of God, so that when he comes the second time, our physical bodies and our physical minds can catch up to that created image, and we can be completely transformed. You understand what I'm saying? Also in this country, what do we have going on? We got politicians and our leaders, so willing to send billions upon billions of dollars and weapons all around the world so that people can kill each other and they can profit. At the same time, right here in this country we have a generation crumbling and suffering under the burden of student loan debt, trying to afford a home, provide food for their families and simply just take care of themselves. It's still the word of God that empowers us to know that we have a creator, a savior that will supply all of our needs, regardless of the circumstances of what's going on. We got, we're living in some troubling times. Mm-hmm. It's no different from yeah. what the nation of Israel, specifically the Judah tribe, was facing when the Moabites and the Ammonites were coming against them. So we got point number one. We got to stay in the word because that's our power. Point number two, in our weakness, Christ is made strong. We're in Chronicles chapter 20. We're jumping down to verse 12. King Jehoshaphat makes an interesting confession when you take his background into account. He says that they had no power or no might to do anything against this great multitude that was coming against them. This is an interesting statement, because when you look at chapters 17 through 19, you will read, and it states very clearly, that King Jehoshaphat was a very wealthy king, and he had much power. In fact, he commanded an army over one million soldiers. So it wasn't a matter of he simply didn't have any assets or tools at his disposal. He was already in a fortified city, and he had fortresses all around Jerusalem. But it's interesting, and we can realize in our human experiences, that when we start going through some serious troubles, some serious issues, it appears that the things we hold dear, the things that we think are going to protect us, are gonna come to our aid or help us, we don't call on those things. We rarely call on mama. We rarely call on our family. We rarely look to our possessions, our weapons, or whatever it may be. As a poet once said, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? Everybody wants to call on God in that point. Think about the situations that go from bad to worse. We just gotta be honest. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we simply just don't know what to do at times. Mm. But that is okay. That doesn't mean that you are no longer a child of God or you lack some type of faith. It means that now you are looking to Christ to be your strength. Continuing with this thought that we need to make Christ our stronghold, look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Let me just stop right there oftentimes christians today will think that the spirit the holy spirit is some new testament phenomenon that the holy spirit hasn't been around since creation he's always been there he's always been working yes christ pointed out that he gave him as a gift to us after he left and went back to heaven but the holy spirit has always been working inside of man without that power it would have been a complete and very quick decline into the complete obliteration of the human race. I highly doubt we would have made it past two generations without the Spirit of God interceding. But we continue. Verse 15 says, And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you do not be afraid nor dismayed for because of because it is great multitude for the battle is not yours but god's ever since the fall of adam and eve the bible is very clear god has never asked a human being to fight a single battle Mm. you may think the contrary but if you go back and review every single case God has never asked a human being to fight a single battle. He asks us to simply rely mm-hmm. on him. Amen. He's our strength. He's the one that's going to do it. It was his creative power without any human help that set up the heaven and the earth. Amen. It was his redemptive power that saved all of humanity by his sacrifice without any human help. It was Christ that did it all. We need to rely on him. He is our strength when we are weak. I told you I'm not going to be long. We're getting to point number three, and then I'm out of here. Point number three, final point. We as Christians need to take a public stand for Christ. let's look at verses 16 and 17 and let's pay close attention to what the spirit of the lord said the direction given by the prophet was tomorrow go down against them they will surely come up by the ascent of ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jurio. so verse 16 you had a command from the lord that says go down all right, we physically got to do something. Verse 17 said, you will not need to fight in this battle, but position yourselves. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, these two verses are critical to the life, the livelihood, the development of the Christian. You got to publicly take a stand And you got to position yourselves. We live in an age where everybody is okay with saying God, but very few people want to say the name Jesus. We live in an age where people don't want to stand up for Christ because that is seen as extreme or polarizing, offensive, and they're not going to be befriended by the masses. Christ called us to be a witness, but we have to position ourselves on the same side as Christ. Let me speak to you, 70 Adventists, for a second. A lot of you are looking and waiting for your time to shine when the mark of the beast comes. So you can say, hey, I told you so, you got to stick to this fourth commandment. That's what's important. That's what's going to separate everybody. But the reality of the matter is none of us, even I, know if we're going to be around when that time comes. We got a battle that's going on right now. We got stuff that we got to do right now that indicates we have a life in line, standing on the same side as Christ. We got to tell people and we got to serve people by our Christianity and our love, that we're not afraid of what the world has to say right now. What God has instructed us to do is the same thing that he instructed Adam to do. If there was a different set of rules for us, the devil could simply say, ah, God, you're not fair. I told you so from the beginning, you're not fair. But God is fair, God is just. The same rules Adam and Eve have, the same rules we have today we have to make a solid, a sound decision to stand publicly and on the side of Christ. You'll use the word, or you may hear the word, uh, Christian apologist. It comes from the Greek word apologia. It simply means to defend a certain position. We need folks that are going to be Christian apologists today to defend the faith. Mm. Not individuals that are going to cower behind well, I love everybody, and it doesn't matter what they do. It only matters what I do over here. Oh, well, you can love whatever you love over there, or you can believe whatever you believe over there. As long as it doesn't impact me, it's okay. Just don't impose your will on mine. We got to get a message, a gospel message, that is there to save everyone. I'm not saying that you have to meet somebody in the street with a sign and yell in their face, but every day we are confronted with the question, are you a Christian or not? Some of us say it by our actions. Some of us are a little bit stronger and more bold and we say it with our words, but we gotta say it. We gotta exhibit that we are publicly on the side of Christ. I'm going to give this appeal, actually I'm going to give two, and then I'm done. Last year, a year ago today, I had breakfast. That sounds like a profound statement, right? About six months ago, whatever day that was, I had breakfast again. I can't remember what I had, but I ate something. Sometimes there's meals that you eat that you remember. Last week... I was by the hunts, had a very memorable meal, remember very well. But most of the time, what I eat, I never remember what it is. It's probably oatmeal or some nonsense for breakfast, because I usually do that every day. But the point is, I knew I had to eat, because I knew that food was going to give me the energy to do what I needed to do. It wasn't about some grand feeling or having some memorable experience. Sometimes those happen but most of the time, they don't. Now, if I'm honest, and maybe your experience is like mine, when I read the Word of God, I don't always have some grand experience or some emotional volcano erupt inside of me. But the point is, I still got to read the Word of God, because at some point, in some instance of time, I'm going to need what I put in to fuel the character that I need to exhibit. Forget about this idea that you have to rely on feelings or it's all about uh, growing and feeling the sense of growing in your faith the believe that you are connecting with God. Sometimes you just gotta put the food in and when the time calls for it, I promise you, you're gonna have the energy to do what God is asking you to do. Forget about the feelings, folks. This is serious business. All we're doing is putting the word in. Abide in the word. Abide in the word. Once that's in you, thy word I have hid in my heart so I will not sin against thee. When the time comes, you'll do and you'll have the strength to do what you need to do because the word of God is in you. That's the message. Don't doubt God as the music begins to play, I also want to offer the opportunity up for anyone. You may be online and we know you're not here in person, but you can type it in the chat, that you want to, number one, hide the word of God in your heart. So that when the time comes, when persecution comes, when suffering comes, when death comes knocking at your door, when your health starts to fail when your family's not getting along and there's strife whatever the issue that's coming you're going to have the creative the restorative power of christ already inside you to deliver the strength that you need that's the first appeal if you're looking to hide the word of god in your heart and you're asking the holy spirit for help i'm just going to simply ask you to stand to your feet with me now that's the first appeal. The power is in the word. It's not in calling on God, it's in calling on, recalling the things that he's already done. He already created the world. He already paid the penalty and saved us from sin. Now here's the second appeal. This is for the individual who's waiting on some grand experience or to know or understand everything the Bible has to say before they attempt to give the life to God. God is not asking for your help in any work. He created the world without your help. He saved humanity without your help. He's simply asking that you publicly want to take a stand with him. All baptism is is simply a public confession that you believe in God. It doesn't mean that your life is going to get drastically better. It just means that when it comes to the end of the day, your name is settled in regards to what side of this great battle we're on. It's only the first step. I'm asking for now, you've been weighing on this in your heart. If there's anyone out there, you've been wrestling with the idea of Lord, let me clean myself up first. Let me learn more first before I turn everything over to you. Christ is saying, look, I love you too much for that. I'm going to do all the hard stuff. I'm going to do all the work. All you got to do is just say, yeah, I'm on your side. That's all baptism is, and then it's over. We're going to continue to deal with the sufferings. We're going to continue to have to put the word of God in our hearts. If there's anyone, if there's anyone who's ready, who's fed up of trying to do it on their own, choose Christ. Go ahead, be weak. Let Christ be strong. He already said he's going to do it all. Don't doubt him. He's already done it. Step out right now on faith. I'm going to pause just for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to work. Only the Holy Spirit can convict. Holy Spirit, please convict. Christ has given us opportunity after opportunity. He's waiting. You don't have to do anything hard. All you got to do is move out. That's it. It sounds simple, but taking that first step is usually the hardest. But once you start moving, it gets easier from there. It gets easier from there. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and we recognize you for your awesome, creative power. We thank you and we recognize you for your awesome, redeemable power. Father, you've given us your word. You've exalted it above all of your names combined. You told us how to love you. And you've shown that you've loved us by not allowing anything to stand in your way of your plan of salvation. Father, I believe the Holy Spirit is not done because it continues to work on me. So continue to work on the heart of every individual that is on the verge of making a decision for Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't make that decision. So Father, Push out more of that spirit to encourage your creation that has fallen into sin to choose you. Father, there's nothing we can do on our own but simply cry out and say, help me. Father, help our unbelief. Help us in this life we live. Protect us. Keep us. Guide us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the saints say together, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you.